The reading this morning is from Proverbs 8, uh, beginning on page 995 of the, uh, of the Red Bible. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, Set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. In the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, 
Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Barney's. It's great to see you here. Uh, my name is Jack, uh, and I'm on the leadership team here uh, at Barney's. I um, should say as well, um, our pastor, Ben, uh, is in fact not in the building. Uh, if you're trying to work out which one the pastor is, it's none of us. Um, uh, he is currently on holidays at the moment, uh, so he will be back next week. Yeah, next week. Um, But let's begin uh, this morning with a question. Why are you a Christian? Uh, If you were to be asked that as you flip sausages on a Sunday afternoon at the park, uh, or as you wait in line with a friend for a coffee, or as you drive down South Road, how would you answer? Um, Or maybe you're someone here this morning who's exploring Christianity. So the question is just slightly different. Why be a Christian? Why would anyone want to follow Jesus? Why would anyone take up this worldview? Well, there are theologically correct answers because Jesus forgives my sins. That's true. There are theologically incorrect answers like Jeremiah 29.11. And then there are just bad answers. Uh, one of my worst evangelistic moments was getting asked this exact question at a party at uni and then proceeding to launch into a 10-minute dialogue as to why Christianity was an epistemically valid system of belief. In hindsight, what was astonishing was that I even got invited to parties in the first place. But part of the reason that our answers fall flat uh, is because we're not answering the question that is behind the question. Because our friends our, are not generally asking us What is the theologically correct reason for following Jesus? What they are asking is, why and how does does Christianity make sense to you? What is it about the Christian worldview that you find compelling, beautiful, appealing? And why would you reject all other worldviews and commit yourself to this one? Because it goes further than that, doesn't it? Your decision here impacts all areas of your life. Because being a Christian involves making choices about our lives that are inexplicable to the world around us. Why would a doctor choose to work in a rural or low socioeconomic environment rather than an area where pay and lifestyle were better? Why would you choose to give up annual holidays to use your professional skills in the developing world? Why might you work a day less a week and volunteer doing prison ministry? Why would you leave your promising career to go into full-time vocational ministry? On many levels, being a Christian can be odd. So why are you a Christian? Why do it? Why is it so compelling to you? Well, this is what Proverbs 8 is all about. Proverbs 8 is one of the ways that the Bible answers this question. 
It is an appeal to follow the worldview of wisdom. That this is the right way to go. To follow, as we will find, Lady Wisdom, the central character in this, uh, in this narrative. So that's what we're going to be going through for the next 25 minutes or so, but I'm going to pray for us and then we'll start digging into the text. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that your word is truth and that your word sanctifies us. Father, please speak to us now by your spirit. Be opening our eyes to the truths that you have here. Be encouraging those of us who need to be encouraged. Be correcting those of us who need to be corrected and be bringing comfort, the comfort of the gospel, the comfort of Jesus to all of us here now today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as I said, we are begin- we are looking through Proverbs 8 uh, and we're exploring this character that emerges of Lady Wisdom. Uh, but to get our head around what is happening here in chapter 8, we need to zoom back a little bit and understand where chapter 8 sits in the structure of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Proverbs uh, can be broadly uh, divided into two sections. Uh, we've got section uh, 1 to 9, chapters 1 to 9, Uh, which begins with that phrase, the Proverbs of Solomon. And then Proverbs 10 to 31 also begins, the Proverbs of Solomon. Uh, And chapters 10 to 31 are sort of the short, pithy sayings that we would expect of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at them next week. But in 1 to 9, we notice something slightly different. Uh, What we really get in 1 to 9 are sort of speeches and narratives. Uh, But more than that, we don't just get speeches, there is this narrative, this story that connects all these speeches together. And this narrative amplifies and digs deeper into the introduction that we saw last week. And it does this by introducing us to a dialogue that is happening between a father and his son. Uh, And there are four characters that this son is told to consider. Firstly, there is the royal father, and then there is Lady Wisdom. These two, the ones in purple up there, are, they embody wisdom, creativity, beauty, and all that is true and good. Uh, But contrasted with these two characters is the wicked man and lady folly. Uh, These are the contrast of the royal father and lady wisdom. They are attractive on the outside, but ultimately they represent disorder, chaos, and calamity. Uh, And as chapters 1 to 9 unfolds, each of these characters raises their voice and appeals to the son to follow them. They make speeches, imploring the son to come after them. The questions of which path to follow, which person to choose, lies at the heart of Proverbs. And the audience is invited to see themselves as the son. Which will you choose? Which path will you take? Uh, In a sense, then, uh, if you choose Lady Wisdom and the Royal Father, then you can read on to chapters 10 to 31, and you can embrace Wisdom's worldview. But if you choose Lady Folly, then the logic of Proverbs goes, then stop reading and go and indulge yourself, because you are a fool and nothing can help you now. But there's something else going on here as well, because Proverbs is set against the background of creation. 
Uh, in this sense, the royal father and lady wisdom represent Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve, as if sin hadn't entered into the world. They are what Adam and Eve should have turned into. Male and female, made in God's image, ruling and caring for God's creation. And the wicked man and lady folly are Adam and Eve corrupted by sin, exploiting the world for their own gain. Uh, As we go through this chapter, we will see this creation theme keep poking its head up time and time again. But as we get into chapter 8 then, this is the climax of Lady Wisdom's appeal. In chapter 7, Lady Folly has made her speech, attempted to lure the young man into her house, but now Lady Wisdom will paint a picture of what a wise worldview is, what a beautiful, glorious and joyful worldview looks like. So let's dive into chapter 8 and listen to the call of Lady Wisdom. So verses 1 to 3, the scene is set. The royal father, as the narrator, points the son towards Lady Wisdom. He says this, read with me there, Proverbs 8, 1 to 3. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. Uh, Here is Lady Wisdom. She's standing at the highest point where the paths meet beside the gate leading into the city. Uh, What does that all mean? Well, they are three images that taken together place Lady Wisdom at the point where decisions are made. She's at the centre of society. She is at Parliament House, the village green, the kitchen table. And she wants all people to hear. The striking point here is that wisdom is not hiding. Uh, Wisdom here is not sitting at the top of a mountain or in the middle of the rainforest where only the most dedicated pilgrims can find their way to her. Uh, Lady Wisdom has not put forward a series of tests for the righteous and brave to complete in order to access her. She is not either at the end of a book or an equation that only the genius can grasp. No, wisdom is right where she needs to be. She is where decisions are made. And she is accessible to all, from the prime minister to the single mum with small kids struggling to make ends meet. She sums this up in verse 17. Verse 17 is a beautiful verse. Read this with me. Verse 17 I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Uh, There's a beautiful contrast here with other worldviews. For most other worldviews, enlightenment is some sort of quest. It's a journey. You must follow the five pillars of Islam. You must reincarnate time after time after time until you reach wisdom. Or you must get a PhD from the correct university in order to qualify for wisdom. But Lady Wisdom is not like that. She has made herself available for all. Whether you are weak and inadequate, whether you are strong and powerful, Wisdom puts everyone on the same level. If you love Wisdom, you will find her. But why then should you want Wisdom? If Wisdom isn't hiding, why do we want Wisdom? Well, point number two, wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. 
Wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. Have a look at verse 6 with me there. Listen, Lady Wisdom says, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Uh, Wisdom here stakes her claim on truth. What she says is true, right, and just. Uh, The word wisdom, uh, as we saw last week, is the Hebrew word chokmah, which broadly means skilled living. And as we saw last week, this means that chokmah is about creating and not chaosing. Wisdom is about creating, not chaosing. And a fundamental prerequisite for creating is truth. Uh, If you have a false view of the world, then you will make chaos. Let me try and illustrate that. Uh, Think about mathematics. If you think that 2 plus 2 equals 5, you're not going to go very far in life. But if 2 plus 2 equals 4, then the creative possibilities for maths is endless. Or think about medicine. If you have a false understanding of anatomy, you are going to run into problems very quickly. Yet if you correctly understand the way that the body is made, you are able to transplant hearts or even engineering. Uh, Here is Sir Archibald Russell. You guys all know who he is, right? He's the guy who designed the Concorde. And this is what he has to say. This is one for the engineers. When one designs an aeroplane, he must stay as close as possible to the laws of nature. You are really playing with the laws of nature and trying not to offend them. Every shape and curve is arranged so that it will conform with the natural flow as conditioned by the laws of nature. Now, unfortunately for Sir Russell, he didn't quite get it right, and so they've abandoned the Concorde. (laughs) But that's okay. The point is, truth allows us to flourish in this world, right? And wisdom gives us an example itself. The example that Proverbs 8 gives us is the example of politics. Uh, Look at verses 15 and 16. Proverbs, Lady Wisdom says, By me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. Uh, Wherever societies have laws that are just and function well together, it is wisdom that is at play. Wisdom that allows laws to be made that create order and not chaos. Uh, In fact, the word issue decree here is the Hebrew word hakak. It literally means to carve. Uh, It was the way that the ancient rulers would carve their laws into stone. And as they did so, they would be holding back the chaos around them by bringing order and control and peace to their society. They would, whether they realised it or not, be accessing wisdom. But in doing so, they would also be playing their role as those made in the image of God. They would be mimicking the great lawgiver who quite literally carved his ten laws into stone at Mount Sinai. So wisdom stakes her claim on truth. 
By accessing truth, we are able to create and hold back the chaos as image bearers of God. We are able to make sense of this world and lovingly develop it in ways that enhance and don't harm. This is why the son should follow Lady Wisdom. But Lady Wisdom makes another claim as well. Here is point three. Wisdom, Lady Wisdom says, is more valuable than riches. Wisdom is more valuable than riches. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. She says, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So wisdom is truth, and because of that, wisdom then is the most valuable thing that you can possess. Uh, Look at the imagery that's used. Wisdom compares herself to silver, gold, and rubies. Uh, What do they represent in the ancient world? Well, they represent security, safety, and stability. Uh, The ancient Israelite world was incredibly unstable. Uh, It was an agrarian economy, which meant that you were at the whim of the weather, whether drought or storm. Uh, The geopolitical realities meant that the small nations around Israel were constantly at war, jostling for supremacy. And that was only when the triple superpowers of Assyria, Babylon and Egypt were fighting each others and didn't have time to invade you. What did this mean? Well, this means that you are perpetually in danger. Your livestock, your crop are always in danger. So what is your insurance policy? Well... If you had silver, gold, or rubies hidden away, you could then weather the storm and then buy your way out of trouble again. It's not too different from now, is it? Safety and security come from our investments, our bank accounts, a good job, a steady income. These are, I think, the modern-day equivalents. And this is what our world chases. It's why one of the modern-day political proverbs is... It's all about the economy because people will typically put up with anything as long as their economic safe security is safe. But wisdom says, choose me above that. In fact, she doubles down on it in 18 to 21. 18 to 21. With me, she says, are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. And just as you think she's talking about money at that point, she says, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me, making their treasuries full. Because, as we know, riches and money can only go so far. You can have all the money in the world, but one bad investment and it is all going to come crashing down. You can have all the gold and silver in the world, but you can't buy a loving family. You can't buy a functional relationship, a caring community, purpose, hope, joy. As Jim Carrey famously said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. Riches are our world's best effort at security 
And yet we know, don't we, that it falls woefully short. So what is the answer? What is the answer to Jim Carrey's question? Well, the answer is wisdom. Wisdom is greater than any of these things. If you want security, if you want justice, if you want all the desires of your heart, then choose wisdom. But what is wisdom and how does it work? How can Lady Wisdom have this kind of power? How can she make these incredible claims? Well, now we get to verses 22 to 31. Uh, And these verses are an incredibly profound part of the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, they are an incredibly important bit of scripture for the early church. The early church loved this section of the Bible. They spend a lot of time trying to work out what is happening in Proverbs 8, 22 to 31. So we've seen that wisdom is not hidden, wisdom is true, wisdom is valuable. Why? How can she make these claims? Well, because wisdom is the very pattern of creation itself. Wisdom is the very pattern of creation itself. Have a look at verse 22. Lady Wisdom says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. Uh, Then we have this birthing language of wisdom being born as the world is created. Pick it up with me again in 27. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. Marked out is that Hebrew word hakak again, where God literally carved the horizon onto the face of the deep. In the midst of the chaos, God was creating. He was setting things in place so that his creation could flourish. He was carving order out of anarchy. And it goes on. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Can you see how this underpins everything that we have seen so far? The reason that wisdom is not hidden is because she is in front of our eyes in the very world around us. The creation testifies towards her. The reason that she is true is because she is woven into creation itself. And the reason that she is valuable is because she is the one who gives all things its value. And how did Lady Wisdom feel in all of this? What emotion did this bring forth as she contributed to the making of this world? Well, verse 30 Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world. Wisdom is animated by joy in creation. And we know this, don't we? We can feel this spark anytime we create something beautiful. Anytime something works, whether it's a piece of music, whether it is an equation, when things work, it brings joy. That moment when you are working in line with the Hokmah. But there's something particular that wisdom takes joy in. It goes on to verse 31. Have a look at the line I missed out at this point. Verse 31, what is wisdom rejoicing in? Verse 31, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. 
Why? Well, because humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Male and female created in God's image, the image of the invisible God. Remember that Lady Wisdom and the Royal Father is who Adam and Eve are supposed to be, the image bearers of God, if they had followed God's ways. But they didn't, did they? Instead, Adam and Eve chose a different voice that called out to them. One that was not creating, that one that was created, not creating. Enticing them to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a voice that called out to them not to fear God, but to seek wisdom and knowledge from an alternate source. And because humanity as the sun chose foolishly, through Adam and Eve originally as our representatives, and as we mimic this foolish choice in everyday life, so our world does not look like the world, the picture that Lady Wisdom paints. When we create things, they go wrong. Advances in nuclear energy result in nuclear bombs. Economic advances lead to further income inequality. Medical breakthroughs are monetized for profits. Art is not used to praise and glorify the creator, but to blaspheme and numb our senses. Our creativity is used for devastating chaos. So what hope is there for Lady Wisdom? What hope is there for this picture in Proverbs 8? Well, this is why Proverbs 8 was so important to the early church. Because it was a fundamental way that they were able to understand who Jesus was. Because Jesus is not just the personification of wisdom, as Lady Wisdom is in this passage. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. He's not just the personification. He is the literal embodiment of wisdom. We see this connection most clearly in Colossians 1.15, one of the earliest creeds, confessions of faith that we have. Look at how Proverbs 8 undergirds Colossians 1. The Son, Colossians 1 tells us, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's how wisdom is described in verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. And then, like Lady Wisdom, Jesus is there at the beginning, in, through, and around the creation of the world. For in him, Colossians goes on, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before him, all, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Notice as well the connection between thrones, powers and rulers and authorities and Proverbs 15 and 16 that we looked at before. But we can go further than this as well. We said that wisdom is not hidden, that she is standing there at the crossroads, crossroads calling out. Well, Jesus is not hidden. He is not hiding in heaven or lurking somewhere in the underworld. He has come into this world so that we can know him. And we saw that wisdom is truth that leads to flourishing. What does Jesus say when he comes? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And we saw that wisdom is more valuable than riches. Well, Jesus is more valuable than riches. And not just because he is the pattern of creation itself, the one who gives all things its value, but because Jesus goes one crucial step further. Why are you a Christian? Well, because Jesus is creation's redemption. You see, Colossians has picked up on the Proverbs 8 imagery, but watch how it is now reshaped and expanded. Why is Jesus valuable? Well, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, wisdom has not just created, he has redeemed creation through his death on the cross. This is why Paul can link redemption and wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that we saw last week. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That's the bit we focused on, but what about this next bit? That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Well, the greatest moment of wisdom was at the cross of Jesus. In fact, just a few verses earlier, Paul will write this. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, how then do we gain wisdom? Well, Proverbs 8 tells us that we gain wisdom when we embrace Jesus. And how do you get wisdom? Well, you listen to the call of Jesus and choose him. Which means that we can read the last verses not as lady wisdom, but as Jesus. Have a look at verse 32, the last Verses that we haven't covered yet. And understand that now we can read these as though Jesus is saying these directly to us. Listen to these verses. Verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find life in me and receive favour from the Lord. Sorry, for those who find me, find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Well, we started this morning with a question. Why are you a Christian? Well, how does Proverbs 8 answer that question? Why are you a Christian? Well, because Jesus is the truth that leads to flourishing. He explains why beauty, order and creativity mean so much. Why you can feel a spark of the divine when you hear a beautiful piece of music. When you design something that works, that assists humanity. Why am I a Christian? Well, because Jesus is more valuable than anything else. 
Because my security is found not in things that are created, but in the creator himself. See, Jesus is more valuable than wealth, jobs, marks, anything that our world has to offer. Why are we Christians here at Barney's? Well, because Jesus is the pattern not just of creation, but of redemption as well. It is in Jesus and his work that we find true joy, true fulfillment and true hope. Jesus, who is the true Adam, the true Eve, the image of God himself. And this is why we can make decisions about our lives and our work that are vastly different to the world around us. So how have you radically reoriented your life because of Jesus? Why are we Christians? Well, because Jesus is not hidden. Jesus has come to us. And Proverbs 8 tells us that we need to choose. Day by day, year by year, this is wisdom. Whose voice will you choose this morning? Let me pray as we finish there. Father, thank you for wisdom. We thank you that wisdom is not hidden, that it is true, that it is valuable, that it is part of creation. And thank you that in Jesus we can see that wisdom is also our redemption, that Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom who steps into our world and calls out to us to follow him. Father, help us to heed that call this morning. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.